Well, good morning. Good to see you. Glad you braved the weather. But isn't it good to be in this nice, warm house of the Lord this morning with your friends and family? Let's stand together as we open up and worship together and sing and rejoice. And just praise the Lord this morning. Sing with me. Baptist, the sanctity of human life is an issue that we can all stand united on. Scripture tells us 
that all human beings are made in the image of God, knit together in their mother's womb, and are fearfully and wonderfully made. Many churches recognize the third Sunday in January as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which falls near the anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court's 1973 decision in the case of Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in all 50 states. On Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we celebrate God's great gift of life. But we also mourn that more than 60 million lives have been lost to abortion. We commit to being an advocate at every stage of life. I am so thankful that NC Baptist churches and individuals have a long history of being strong supporters of life, which is good, right, and just. We must continue such efforts that involve raising awareness about the issue and supporting pro-life policies and initiatives, but we must never stop there. Because the easiest act in the world is to vote for a pro-life elected official. But being pro-life is more than just being against abortion. Being pro-life means protecting, defending, loving, and caring for the weak and vulnerable among us. It means loving and serving others just like Jesus did. What would it look like if more of our NC Baptist churches and their members got directly involved in seeking ways to serve and support those facing an unplanned or crisis pregnancy? Chances are there's a local crisis pregnancy center in your area that's in need of volunteers to provide compassion and care to women facing a crisis pregnancy. There's also a tremendous need for individuals and families to love, serve, support, and mentor those who are experiencing a crisis pregnancy. We cannot encourage someone to choose life, but then leave them alone to figure things out. North Carolina Baptist, as we reflect upon God's great gift of life and the sanctity of all human life, we must prayerfully seek the Lord and see how you and I can be champions for life. Being pro-life certainly calls for advocacy, but it also calls for action. And we have a tremendous gospel opportunity to not only be advocates for life, but to actively be involved in loving and serving others. What a great way for us to be on mission together. Well, good morning, church. Good to see each of you here this morning. Hope you all had lots of fun in the snow. Uh, I don't have any young kids anymore, but I have a 100-pound chocolate lab that he took me outside and let me play with him. Uh, <laughs> took me for a walk, actually. I enjoyed that. Um, but glad to see you uh, have braved the cold weather and maybe some icy spots on the road to be with us here this morning. Uh, we... Uh, are uh, exceedingly glad if you're visiting with us this morning uh, and if you are we would invite you to take a care card that's in the pew rack in front of you and fill that information out and place that in either one of the, the boxes that's on the round tables in the foyer of the sanctuary or you can hand that to either me or Pastor Scott or Jonathan uh, as you leave the service this morning and then on the flip side of that card uh, if you have a prayer request anybody that you would uh, need to mention to one of us Please feel free to jot that down as well and give that to us as well. So, but thank you for being here this morning uh, as we worship the Lord together. Um, just a few announcements for us this morning. First, coming up in March, March 18th to the 20th, uh, this is something that we did several years ago and we're bringing back to life. Um, it is a family retreat at a place called Teen Valley Ranch in Plumtree, North Carolina. Yes, that's right, I said Plumtree, North Carolina. 
Uh, it is uh, a place generally where I take our youth uh, for our winter retreat. It's just a great mountain getaway. Uh, and so this family retreat, though, is just that. It's for moms, dads, and kids of all ages. And there will be sessions for just parents and parents uh, sessions just for kids. And then there will be some worship sessions together. It's just a great getaway uh, for families uh, to grow closer to the Lord and closer to one another in one of the most beautiful settings that you will ever see. Um, but uh, activities, they also have horseback riding, they have rappelling, a climbing wall, uh, putt-putt, um, and they have a zip line that actually goes into a pond. And yes, we've had people in on these family retreats in early March when it's still cold, zip line into the pond. So, hey, whatever floats your boat. And uh, a big plus is they have great food. So uh, it is a, it's a great weekend. And if you would like to sign up for this, these brochures are on the welcome desk uh, here in the foyer. And on the one side, it's got some information about the deposit being due. Uh, and then on the flip side, at the bottom, it has a little place that you can register. You just tear that off, tear that off and let your intentions be known. And then you can give that to either me or Amy Alley. So we would love uh, your participation in this year's TBR Family Retreat. Um, next, we have our, our ladies' winter Bible study getting ready to start. Uh, it'll be on Thursdays at 10 a.m. or at 6.30 p.m. beginning February 3rd and ending on April the 7th. Um, the cost is $15, and the title of the series is God of Creation, and it's led by Jen Wilkin. If you've not heard a series by Jen Wilkin, she is an incredible Bible teacher. And so, ladies, we would love for you to be a part of this. It's a study of Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, so there's a sign-up sheet for this also at the welcome desk. Uh, so make your intentions known there. Uh, our men's league, basketball league, is getting ready to start up. Uh, sign up through next Sunday, January the 30th. We'll have a captain's draft on January the 31st, and then play begins on February the 7th. If you want to be involved, other than just playing in the league, there's room to do that. Uh, we have uh, room for scorekeepers, officials, or if you just want to come and mentor some of these young men uh, that come to this league, we certainly would appreciate that. If you want to take part in that way, please come see me. Um, but again, that's uh, coming up really soon. Um, our Sewing Hands Ministry is also getting ready to start. It actually begins next Saturday, January 29th. And this is a ministry that meets monthly. And they make uh, projects for local missions or uh, international missions or just a missions project. So if, if God has gifted you in the area of sewing, uh, please be a part uh, of that, that ministry opportunity. If you'd like more information about this, you can contact Pat Connor or Carla Setzer. Um, also coming up, uh, a deadline that some of you may want to know of is our intern application. Um, we have interns that work in our children's ministry, youth ministries, and college ministries. Uh, those are due February the 1st, so please make sure that you know that. Um, again, thank you for your generosity and giving to Lottie Moon. Uh, next Sunday, though, is the last day that we'll be collecting for Lottie Moon. And so far, uh, to, to this date, we've collected over $104,000. So praise the Lord for that. So um, now we're going to still our hearts in a time of prayer. Um, before uh, we continue our worship service. But as we do, just I know that there are many folks that are still this sick 
and hurting. Uh, and we, of course, we want to remember those and remember those who have lost loved ones. But in a special way, uh, I want to ask you to remember our pastor this morning. Um, his mom is getting ready to go home to be with the Lord. Um, it, is, it is going to be very soon. So I know that, uh, you know, he needs your prayers even this morning as he, as he preaches to us. Um, but just pray that her home going would be peaceful and comforting and that that family would know the Lord's strength in a very real, tangible way. So let's just take a few moments to pray silently in our hearts, and then I'll close this uh, with a verbal prayer. Let's pray together. Father, it's so good to be still and know that you are God. You are sovereign in all that you do. You are indeed the sovereign. And we thank you and praise you that in moments of our trials and hurts and heartaches, that you are very real and very near to us. We thank you, Father, that your word promises us that, that you are a strong tower that you are indeed our refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. You're the God of all comfort and peace. And Father, we pray that you would grant that to those who are hurting and suffering this morning. And Lord, indeed, we especially lift up Pastor Scott to you and his family. I pray that his mother, even now, knows your presence in a very real way. And, Father, that she knows that she does not walk this valley alone. And I pray, Father, that her homegoing is indeed sweet and peaceful and comfort. Lord, I pray for Pastor Scott, even when he stands before us this morning and breaks the bread of life into us, that you would use him in a very real and powerful way to speak your words to our hearts, that they would penetrate our lives for eternity's sake. Lord, give him strength uh, as he does that this morning and in the upcoming days as they deal um, with the, the loss, impending loss of his mom, I pray, God, just for comfort and grace and peace and strength for he and his family. Lord God, we thank you that indeed every life is precious to you. Lord, your word teaches us that you knit our lives in the very wombs of our mothers you know every cell and every fiber of our being and we all have value because we're created in your image lord we pray for our nation god that they would uh elect leaders would see the value of human life and god we thank you and praise you that you do indeed value all of life god we come to you this morning and we just pray that our words and our thoughts, our deeds, our songs, our prayers and praises would lift high and magnify the name of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we continue to lift up the name of Christ? In Christ alone, my hope is found. 
my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases, my comfort. Oh, oh. 
Thank you so much, choir. Well, I guess I was the last man standing. Uh, COVID over the past two years that has gone through the staff also, somehow I have managed to avoid it until recently. So I certainly appreciate your prayers for me over the past two weeks. Uh, I must say I was very fortunate. It wasn't much more than a, a typical wintertime cold. And uh, the main thing was the fatigue and the brain fog. Uh, of course, some may say I stay in a brain fog, but I don't know. But anyway, I guess that was the, uh, the main effects that I felt, especially the fatigue. Uh, Darren Johnson this morning said, Scott, if the fatigue kicks in, you need to to cut it short that'll be just fine with us so uh, I feel the love brother I feel the love he's shaking his head yeah uh, pray for Kevin Seeger again he's got COVID once again so he's got another round of it pray for his recovery uh, I saw Sammy there's Sammy Pierce out there uh, pray for Sammy and I after the service we'll be heading down to First Baptist of Matthews uh, our home preacher growing up has passed away and we're both part of the service. Uh, it was f four of his preacher boys. I think the count now, Bonnie has said, is five. So five preacher boys at a funeral this afternoon. So anyway, uh, he, uh, Leland Stevens was Sammy's uh, pastor at Grace Baptist in Charlotte for years. Then he left Grace, became Kevin Knight's pastor up at First Baptist of Hudson. Then he left there and became my pastor at Oakhurst Baptist over in Charlotte. 91 years of age, and uh, he's gone home to be with the Lord. So pray for us this afternoon after the service here. And I do uh, covet your prayers for my mom. We got a word Thursday. Of course, my mom has been battling severe advanced Alzheimer's and uh, uh, as many of you know that's sort of a long goodbye uh, if you've experienced that with loved ones and uh, Thursday hospice told us told my dad to get the family in probably imminent as she has ceased from all intake of foods liquids can't even get her to, to, to take anything in so they are saying it's imminent. My daughter uh, came in with her family overnight. And Connie is with them right now over there at my parents in Gastonia. Um, it, I realize they're, they're saying it's imminent. Um, from my experience, what I have seen in our church family, uh, I tend to think it's probably going to be a little later this week. Uh, but at any rate... Uh, my sweet mama is about to see Jesus. I, she is the one growing up that made sure my sister and I were uh, in church and knew the Lord and walking with the Lord. And she's got a glorious home going. She sort of followed in her mother's footsteps. My grandmother, godly woman, both, both of them women of faith. And so... When, when a loved one is as bad off as she is right now and she's about to see Jesus, you know, you're sad, but it's, it's hard to grieve at the same time. You do grieve, but 
you know what they're fixing to see. And so uh, that tempers the whole situation and makes it so much uh, better. Uh, on another note, I, something I need to tell you about. I got a phone call this week and I really had to ask some questions. I, I thought perhaps uh, maybe there was a mistake. Uh, Marty, a gentleman that used to be the pastor at Bayleaf Baptist in Raleigh, one of our leading North Carolina Baptist churches. He's left Bayleaf now and is with the North American Mission Board. And uh, as a representative of NAM, he called me this past week and said, Scott, I want to uh, congratulate you and the folks at Pitts Baptist Church. He said, last year's Annie Armstrong offering, we have about 4,300 to 4,500 churches in the state of North Carolina. It varies between churches being planted and churches shutting down. So always a little bit of variance, probably 43 to 4,500. He said Pitts Baptist uh, led the state convention last year in your gifts to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for, home, for North American missions. And I was like, churches of our size. He said, no, y'all led the entire state convention and gifts to Annie Armstrong. So you're certainly to be commended for your strong mission giving. Praise God for your strong giving. So uh, thank you for that. And again, that's Annie Armstrong, not Lottie Moon that we're currently giving to, but Annie Armstrong that we give to at Easter for North American missions. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at Matthew 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. And, and also for later in the message, I'll, I'll have you find Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I know Ecclesiastes can be tough to find. So if you'll find the book of Psalms, and then right after the book of Psalms, there's the book of Proverbs. Then right after the book of Proverbs, there's the book of Ecclesiastes. And so later on, we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2 just briefly, so it'll help if you'll have that ready. But uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, I'm actually going to start at verse 24. And uh, Jesus talks there about living by faith, not fear. And folks, that's certainly something we need to hear today, living by faith and not fear. Amen? In verse 24... Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Thank you. You may be seated. This may not be a surprise or may not come as a surprise to you, but the year 2020 has now been listed as the most fearful year ever for Americans. Now, the list has changed quite a bit from the top fears what they used to be. The list only a few years ago included things like public speaking. That was the number one uh, fear people had. Uh, They feared that even more than they feared dying. And then there was heights, the fear of heights, and bugs, and spiders, and snakes, and claustrophobia, and flying, and ghosts, and zombies, and darkness, and uh, things of that nature. That's what the list used to be. But now from 2021, here's America's top fears now. Number one, a loved one dying. Number two, a loved one becoming seriously ill. Number three, mass shootings. Number four, not having enough money for retirement. Number five, terrorism. Six, government corruption. Seven, becoming terminally ill. Eight, hate crimes. Nine, high medical bills. And ten, widespread civil unrest. There's also financial fears, and there's some overlap here. The financial fears, not having enough for retirement, medical bills, not being able to pay your rent or your mortgage, never paying off a debt, losing your job, the stock market crashing, and workplace automation with machines and computers replacing humans. Folks, half of the American population admits that in recent years their fears and anxieties have substantially grown. Now we know that as Christians we're not supposed to live in fear. In fact, Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Folks, the faith that we live by can perhaps be one of the greatest areas in which we can witness to our co-workers who many of them are living in fear if they see your calm faith. That can be a powerful witness. And you know what? In that regard, you may find you have a greater listening audience than perhaps you've ever had in recent years. Now the Bible is not overlooking or making light of difficulties, but the Bible seeks to draw the believer's eyes up to God. 
We are to trust God. We're to look up to Him, placing our faith in Him. While the world around us may be absolutely filled with problems, our eyes are to drift up to God and we're to keep our eyes on Jesus. If our focus is on the things of the world, then we're going to be anxious and fearful all the time. You know, Hebrews 1.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Jesus is speaking of that kind of faith here in the first gospel. And he's pointing out that anxiety and fear are not to drive us. Again, if we place our faith in ourselves or we place our faith in our circumstances or in the world, we're going to have anxiety. We're going to have trouble because we are fallen human beings living in a fallen world. But we're to have faith in God. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He looks after His own as the old hymn says. That's how we're to live. What are you afraid of right now? What are you anxious about right now? What keeps you lying awake at night? What problems or difficulties are you afraid might overtake you? Well, you might just find if that's your case, then this passage is tailor-made just for you. Just for you. Jesus says to his disciples that they have good reason to live lives free of fear and anxiety. I hope you'll take some notes this morning. First of all, I want you to see with me, we're not to worry over things in the world because life is more than worldly things. He says there in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now folks as humans who are part of this world and we're intertwined with this world and the things of this world, sometimes it's hard to help anxiety over earthly things. Because in addition to giving us a soul, God has also given us a body. You know, even in the resurrection, we're going to have a body. Praise God, it's going to be a glorified body, but we're going to have a body. And heaven is a place. It's not just ghosts drifting around somewhere. We're going to have a real body in a real place. And even now, God's given us bodies. And, and we need to take care of our bodies. We're not to be like the ancient Greeks who desired nothing more than to be free of the body. God's given us our bodies. But still, we're not to worry about the things pertaining to this human body. Now, what Jesus says right here. The therefore, when he says therefore, you know it's been said whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you need to ask what it's there for. It goes back to the previous uh, passage where Jesus has been saying in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. And then in verse 24 he said, No one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
He's just spoken about treasures in heaven and, 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 and what a slave is going to serve. And how difficult it would be for a slave back then to serve two masters. That was something that happened very rarely. It would happen. For instance, it would happen in the case when two siblings, for example, would inherit one slave from their parents' estate. And almost always it did not go well. Because the slave would be devoted to the one and despise the other. And that's what Jesus is saying here when it comes to God and money or God and the things of this world. Wealth is an evil master. It is relentless. We're not to be attached to the things of this world. Now how in the world can we avoid this? We need to understand that we were made for more. We were made for better things. I want you to listen to, to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean here was a guy who had more than anybody else before him had ever had. And listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12. He says, I the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to experience by wisdom all that's done under the heavens what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind I've seen all the things that are done under the sun all of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind what is crooked cannot be straight what is lacking cannot be counted I said to myself look I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge then I applied myself to to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is what? It's a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And the more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and, and planted vineyards. I made gardens and, and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired and I refused my heart no pleasure. And yet what does he say about it all? It's meaningless. It's vanity. If, if that's all you're living for. You're not going to find what you're looking for in the things of the world. Folks, we were created 
for communion with God and for doing the will of God. That's why you and I live and breathe. We're not to live and breathe for that new car in the driveway. We're not to live and breathe for that promotion at work. We're not to live and breathe so that our kid can get the baseball or football or swim team scholarship. We are to live and breathe for the will of God. And that's not to be the life of the super saint. That's to be the normal, everyday Christian life. Jesus said, strive first. Strive first. Seek first the kingdom of God. I don't know how much clearer he could be than that. I mean, that's about as clear as it gets, folks. The will of God is to shape and govern everything about your life and my life. And and if, if this is how we're to live, then constant anxiety and fear over things in the world cannot be our preoccupation. The will of God and the kingdom of God are to be our preoccupation. Jesus is saying that the entire orientation of our lives is to be different than that of the lost man. Folks, you look back at Israel and when Israel desired a king, they wanted to be like the other nations. What they would understand, God wanted them to be different than the other nations. Christians today strive after the same things oftentimes that the lost man strives after. So we can be like everybody else. We need to understand God's created us to be different than everybody else. Peter says we're to, we're to be a peculiar people. We're strangers in this world. We're sojourners passing through. We're looking for for that city whose builder and maker is God. You're not to be like your neighbors in this regard. And I'm not either. We're to be different. Again, the will of God and the kingdom of God is to be our preoccupation. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44 and 45. The kingdom of God is worth it all. There was this treasure in a field and the guy sold everything so that he could have that field. Now I want you to imagine that. The things that the man probably woke up worrying about that very morning... By the end of that very day, he gladly, joyfully, exuberantly gave up all those things so that he could buy that field and have that treasure. Is that not amazing? We get to know God. We get to serve Him. We get to be a part of what He's doing in the world. And therefore, we're not to let the things of the world sidetrack us from our purpose. Are you sidetracked this morning? Have you become sidetracked? If so, what has you sidetracked? Is it worth it? If you constantly put Christ last and you give Him the leftovers so you can pursue the things in the world, you have no idea what Christ is talking about here. Your eyes are blind to it and your ears are deaf to it. You just don't get it. Jesus is pointing out here that God has promised to look after the lesser things of the world. The lesser things that tend to to worry us and occupy our thoughts. 
God's promised to look after these things if we'll put Him first. You know, the Mayan Indians, the ancient Mayan Indians in Guatemala, they had an interesting custom. They made highly colored dolls. Each one would only be about an inch tall. And they'd put six to eight of these dolls in a little box. They were called worry dolls. And they would tell their little children who were worried or fearful about things in the world that they could tell each one of these dolls one of their worries so they'd get eight worries a day. And then the parents would close the box and put the box of these worried dolls under their pillow. After their kids went to sleep, they'd slip back in, take the box of worry dolls out from under their pillow. So when their, when their kids uh, awakened, they'd see that the dolls were gone. Hence, their worries were gone. But you know what? While that might be a cute little thing they did, I like Jesus' solution better. Trust God. Trust God. Keep your eyes on Him. Secondly, he says, we're not to worry over things in the world because of our value. He says there at the second part of verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? A husband chided his wife one time for worrying about everything. And she responded, well, darling, you got to admit it must, wor- must work. You got to admit about 98% of the stuff I always worry about never happens. Heard about one, one man who worried so much the hair of his toupee fell out. <laughs> Jesus begins in verse 25 with this how much more argument. An a fortiori argument. How much more? An argument from the stronger. In other words, life is more than everything you're worried about. Life is so much more than the shiny new car you might be worried about. Or that stain on, on that new dress or those new pants. But folks, you've got to understand the real punch behind what Jesus is talking about here is you've got to remember the folks he was talking to, the day laborers. Many of them were day laborers. They'd go to work that day for the money they would need to feed their family that day. I mean, it's not like us. We've, we're, we're comfortable. Them, if they worked all day and didn't get paid, guess what? Their children would go to bed hungry that night. But even in a culture like that, Jesus said, stop worrying about your food. Stop worrying about your clothing. How much more do we need to stop worrying? And that's the tense here. that it, he, He's saying that the tense in the original language is stop an activity that you've already started. Stop being anxious. Stop being worried. You're worth more than this. That This is also a passage that grows out of the Lord's Prayer. Remember earlier in chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, one of the petitions is, Give us this day our daily bread. We're to trust Him to do that. We're to trust Him to provide for all we need so that we, in turn, are freed up to do the will of God. And that's the essence of human existence. It was Jim Elliot who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Worry is foolish. Foolish. 
Because you're valuable to God. You know, maybe some birds were flying overhead. Jesus looked up and said, look at all the birds of the air. Again, the point was not that birds don't work. Somebody's noticed that few things probably work any harder than birds. But the point is, somehow or another, God looks after them all. God provides for them all. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. And yet God sees to it that out in nature they've got everything that they need. This past summer I put up a couple of hummingbird feeders on our deck. Those little rascals are fascinating to watch. They're bullies, I tell you. You let one go to the feeder and another stand by watching and he'll fly. I mean, you, you ever hear them? They hit one another They're like football players or something. Pop, pop, pop. Pop in one another. And they'll scoot around that feeder just hitting one another. One of them knocking the other one out of the way. And yet God, all the flowers, all the nectar in the world. We wouldn't even have to put up feeders. God provides for them. You know, I was thinking the other day about all the, the billions and billions and billions and billions of creatures on earth. Even trillions and trillions and trillions. And I'm not exaggerating. Think of all the ants, the beetles, the flies, the spiders, the possums, the foxes, the snakes, bears, wolves, deer. All the creatures of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. I was thinking about the absolute miracle. You know, we, we say, you know, if I saw a man work, walking on water, that'd be a miracle. Well, folks, when you think of the trillions of all of the animals and creatures and creation, and the fact that every day God feeds them all that's a miracle you got animals and God feeds them you say yeah I feed them yeah but you know what God looks after them through you right <clears throat> we got a little corgi queen's dog best dog he will terrorize me and Connie at night. He's got to have his bowl of popcorn before he goes to bed at night. <laughs> By the way, that's one of the few human foods that's actually good for dogs. If you don't put salt or butter on it, it's good for their eyesight. It's one of the few things, few human foods dogs can eat. Connie and I'll be watching something at night before going to bed, and he'll, man, he starts bugging me. He's got to have that popcorn. If I don't respond to him, he goes to Connie. He goes to me, he goes to Connie. He wants his popcorn before he goes to bed at night. <laughs> God feeds all the animals of the world somehow. It's a miracle. And he's saying here, God, God looks after the birds according to their order and design. He looks after all other creatures according to their order and design. And guess what? He'll look after you and me. You're much more valuable than they are. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And it's the same argument he goes on to make with the lilies of the field. Again on the hillside in Galilee. As Jesus was teaching this very passage. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He probably directed people's attention to many of the wildflowers that were growing. And he says here was Solomon. The richest king until his time. Arrayed in all of his garments. And yet he says Solomon in all of his glory and wealth wasn't clothed in as much beauty as God clothes the lilies of the field. 
And yet those lilies and so many flowers of the Middle East spring up and bloom in the morning. But by the, the, the end of the day, the hot Middle Eastern sun, they wilted. The women would, would go out there and they would gather all these flowers, dead flowers that had wilted. They'd take them back to their clay or brick ovens where they'd build a fire underneath. They'd throw all those dead flowers in to heat up the inside so they could bake their stuff. Here were flowers, beautiful in the morning, dead and gone by nightfall. Jesus said, God, close these with all that beauty and glory. Don't you think he's going to take care of you? If something's got a short life destined to be burned and yet look how God closed it with such beauty, won't he much more take care of you? The point is if God looks after the animal kingdom, God looks after the plant kingdom and everything's got its place and purpose, he'll certainly look after you. And you know what this goes back to? It goes back to Genesis 1. You and I were made in the image of God. God breathed his soul into man. He didn't do that to the animals. He didn't do, certainly didn't do that with plants. Man is the crown of God's creation. Despite what New Age philosophy teaches, you're, you're not the same as the creation. You know, oh, I'm one with that tree. No, no, you're greater than that tree. You're greater than the animals. You're created in the image of God. You've got a living soul and God designed you for fellowship with Him. David said in Psalm 139, a great passage to think about on Sanctity of Life Sunday, that God knitted me together inside of my mother's womb. And you know what? God cares about even one. The parable of the prodigal son. Jesus talked about that one, one sheep and one coin and the lost son in Luke chapter 15. And in each one of those three cases, whether it was a sheep, a coin, or a lost son, the father didn't rest until that which was lost had been reclaimed. God cares about you. And so Jesus says, stop your worrying. Come now, stop your worrying. Thirdly, we're not to worry over things in the world because it's both useless and that's how the unbelievers live. He says in verse 27, And, and can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your light, to your span of life, now, depending on what translation you're reading, translations struggle with that. It's a difficult phrase. The, the original refers more properly to a span in the sense of a literal measurement of something like inches or feet. And so some translations pick up on that and talk about a person adding to their height. Can you imagine somebody being able to do that? Boy, NBA players would love to do that, wouldn't they? But you can't do that. You certainly can't do that by worrying. But that's probably not the best way to translate it. The other way of looking at it fits the context a lot better. The other way means adding length or longevity to your days, to your life, the length of your life. Who can do that? You're probably going to shorten your life. 
Dr. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic said, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from worry, end quote. Folks, one thing we need to understand, worry doesn't accomplish a thing in life. If you're worried about something you can do something about, go and do something about it so you don't have to worry about it. But if you can't do anything about it, no matter what you do, you can't do anything about it, then worrying about it is not going to change anything either. I mean, think of how ridiculous worry is. But Jesus says here it's even worse than that. It expresses unbelief. God knows our needs and to to spend all of our time, all of our energies focused on things of this world and our daily necessities, he says, would actually put you in the same category with Gentiles. When the Bible speaks to Gentiles, two senses. Sometimes it's just saying Gentiles, people who aren't Jews, neutral. But oftentimes when the Bible says Gentiles as here, it's using a negative connotation. They were pagans. They were unbelievers. Jesus says that's what the unbelievers, the Gentiles are doing. Who who don't realize, who don't believe in the true and the living God. Maybe they're trusting in themselves. Maybe they're pagans who, who have false gods that can't do anything. I mean the Old Testament talks about the ridiculousness of that. A man who's got to carry his God around. I mean you're in bad shape if you've got to carry your God around. But that's how many of the unbelievers were. Jesus says, don't be like them. You know, a biblical worldview is freeing, is it not, folks? We serve a sovereign God who's created us in His image. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. And at the same time, He loves me and He loves you. We don't have to worry about everything. You know, authorities might have said to the Apostle Paul, quit preaching Jesus, we're going to kill you. He'd say, great, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, with an attitude like that, we're just going to let you live. Well, great, I can preach the gospel that much longer. I I tell you what, folks, you you can't mess somebody up who's got faith like that. You can't defeat them. But if we're always walking around fretting about everything, what's that say about us? What's that say about our faith? And then lastly, we're not to worry over things in the world because we're promised that God will meet our needs, which frees us to seek eternal matters. You know, the main tragedy of worry, worry robs you and me of what we're really supposed to be focused on. Verse 33 is our focus. The reason I I read from the new RSV this morning, because it uses the word strive, and that's more accurate. You know, seek, yeah, that's okay, but, you know, strive. That, That captures the meaning of the original word. Strive for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Keep Him of the highest importance in your life. You know, 
His kingdom, His rule is to be over everything. You, it'll be complete one day, but until He makes it complete, we're to be striving for the kingdom even now. Daily we ought to be asking, Lord, show me. Show me how I can, how I can be a witness for you today. How I can glorify you. How your kingdom matters are first in my life today. Folks, Jesus is to be Lord of your life and my life and everything we do. He's not just your Savior when you got saved back when you were eight or nine years old. He's to be your Lord every single moment of your life. And you're to be striving first for His kingdom and His righteousness. His righteousness is His character, His holiness, His love, His peace. Striving for that in the world which best represents God's character. Think about that. And as we do, there's the promise. Everything you and I need, Jesus is saying. If we'll live that way, he's going to take care of everything we need. He's going to take care of it. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I wonder, I wonder how many right now, maybe you're not doing what God's called you to do because you're worried about all your stuff. I'm not trying to diminish support and care for one's family. We're to do that. If you don't do that, you're worse than an unbeliever, the pastoral epistles say. But that doesn't mean if we live for him and strive to put him first, we won't ever have to give anything up. You know, you may live in a six or seven hundred thousand dollar home and have two seventy-five thousand dollar automobiles in your driveway. You say, Oh, I might if I follow God to a mission field or something, I might have to give some of that up. Yeah, you might have to give up some of your some some of that abundance and some of your greeds. But you know what? God'll always look after your needs. God is not gonna lead you somewhere where He's not gonna take care of your needs. Folks, life is too short to be trapped by all the materialism in the world. A few years back, I told you the story of a football game. I close with this. I, I, I think it bears repeating since we're in the NFL playoffs right now. But this was a college game. It, it was a game that's going to be written about probably to the end of the time. It was the 1929 Rose Bowl. And two undefeated teams were playing, Georgia Tech and the University of California. It was the national championship game. The ball was on the Georgia Tech 33-yard line. California's pressing hard for a touchdown they're almost, they're almost into that red zone. But suddenly the ball gets loose. There's a pileup of players going after it. And the big old center for California scoops it up. He scoops up the ball. He's hit this way. He's hit that way. He's, hit every, he's spun around every direction. Finally, he takes off running. He's running as hard as a big center could run. The crowd's going absolutely wild. He thinks they're cheering for him because he's running for a touchdown. What he fails to realize, he's running the wrong way. 
that Georgia Tech players are even running out front blocking for him. <laughs> His own players are coming out. They're trying to tackle him. And finally somebody tackles him. One of his own players finally tackles him on the one-yard line just before he scores for Georgia Tech. He's walking back to the sideline. People are booing and laughing and cheering. For the rest of his life, he was known as Wrong Way Regal. Roy Regal. Wrong Way Regal. And he had to live with that. And yet there's so many people hustling, bustling, trying to make as much money as they can, trying to live as high on the hog as they can, worrying themselves silly over things that one day be gone. Think of meeting Jesus one day, standing there at the judgment seat, and he says, you missed what I wanted for you. Wrong way, Billy. Wrong way, Sue. Wrong way, April. Wrong way, John. Don't finish your life that way. Father, we thank you for this text. Help somebody here today to understand their value to you. And Lord, I pray that the sidetracked pathway they've got on, they'll repent of that. And they'll come back to your purposes for their life. They'll seek first. They'll strive first for your kingdom and your righteousness. That they'll trust you. That you're going to take care of them and their family. But they just need to put you first and live for you. Lord, help them to have the faith. Help them to have the trust to do that. Lord, I guarantee you I'm talking to somebody who's, who's in bondage to the things of the world, all the things they think they're supposed to have and be able to buy and be able to do in life. They're, they're in bondage and they don't even see it. God, open their eyes. Help them not to finish life running the wrong way. And I pray for that person who needs to take a bold stand today for the first time confessing I need Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Here am I, Lord. I'm yours. Speak to them today. Give them courage to make their confession public. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.